Hey everybody, I'm uh, Amy. Yes, Mason, welcome. Awesome. Good to be here on Twitter. New, uh, new experience. <laughs> I know, it's exciting. Yeah, guys, okay, well, Mason's here. Get him, uh, give him a minute or two to settle in, and then we'll get going. There's unfortunately no visual in um, Twitter spaces. It's just audio. But, uh, yeah, first time, like I said, so we're experimenting with this, and um, maybe we can tweet out some links or some images that go along with this. But if you need visual... I guess you know what we should do, Mason, is um, share the link to the article. Yeah. Um, uh, you were probably going to do that anyway, now that I think about it. The thing is, because I'm and not then... the host, I think I'm just like a co-host. I don't know if, like, I mean, where do I post that? Okay. I'm not sure. Um, okay. Then I'll I'll find the link to our website article uh, for this, and I'll, I'll post it here. Okay. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, we're going to pretty much be talking about the reverse liquidity bootstrapping pools and all that, although that sounds like a mouthful, um, hopefully it will be uh, explained nice and simply. Uh, we've just been mentioning the, this uh, it's based off an article that we published about a week ago. And yeah, this is pretty much just to complement that and sort of talk about it. And like, uh, I guess at the end of the explanation, we'll have like a Q&A. So if there's any questions or anything like that, then I guess just... Uh, all of till the end. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, what uh, the reverse liquidity bootstrapping tool or just our LBP um, is, how it works, and how it could be, I guess, like an interesting um, new buyback mechanism, potentially. So uh, in order to like understand what this um, reverse LBP is, uh, it's going to be easier for us to sort of uh, yeah, first lay some groundwork. So... Uh, that pretty much like uh, we're going to look at two things, right? So first we're going to look at smart pools, uh, what they are, and then look at uh, LBPs and what they are, okay? Um, obviously, the reverse LBP is just a variation of uh, an LBP, okay? <laughs> so uh, that'll make more sense later on. But first, so what are smart pools? Well, um, they were developed by Balancer, okay? And pretty much uh, they're just uh, liquidity pools that have adjustable parameters, okay? So in a normal uh, Uniswap V2 pool, um, these parameters are fixed, okay? And, and what are some of these parameters? Just uh, like an, an example, um, you have, uh, like in, well, in a standard Uniswap V2 pool, you have uh, a maximum of two tokens. Uh, and in a smart pool, for example, you can have up to eight tokens, okay? Uh, other parameters, uh, like you can have different types of bonding curves, uh, and then you can also have different um, weight aspects of the pool right and this is like the most important thing to understand uh, for for today for this talk uh, the weight uh, aspect to to smart pools okay this is pretty much the um what makes them so special okay at least in the case of um these liquidity bootstrapping pools okay so uh, in this context then what does weight mean well it sort of refers to the value assumptions of the pool right so Although, yeah, that sounds a bit complicated, but basically uh, in a Uniswap V2 pool, okay, so in a standard pool, this value assumption is the 50-50 split, okay? So it's pretty much saying, okay, um, the pool is assuming that 50% of the entirety of the pool, the 50% of that value is in either asset, okay? Uh, in a smart pool, however, like this weight uh, can be changed, right? Meaning that um, the, the pool will sort of assume that value is... Um, more on one side or more on the other side, right? So 
let's say you, ha you can have an 80-20 split or a 60-40 split, right? So it's not uh, equal. This sort of like, so, well, so uh, TLDR, like there's three factors, I guess, that you can um, sort of keep in mind, right? So there's the token type quantity, which in a USDC ETH pool, there's only two, right? So you've got USDC and ETH. Um, in, like I said, balancer pools can handle up to eight tokens, right? So that's you know, eight different token types, but we're just gonna keep it simple today and just um, sort of keep uh, the token type quantity to two, right? Just to make things easier. Uh, so only two tokens in the pool. Then uh, the other factor to consider is uh, the amount of the tokens. Uh, so yeah, in this USDC ETH pool, you can have 10,000 USDC and 10 ETH, for example. And then the third factor to keep in mind uh, is the weight, right? And this is obviously the 80-20 uh, split, the 60-40 split that we were just mentioning, right? Now, this is important. Well, why is this important, first of all? Okay, so this is important uh, because all these things affect the spot price, okay? And this is um, building up to why LBPs are interesting and subsequently why uh, reverse LBPs are interesting, okay? So it's going to be a lot easier to sort of understand this with a bit of maths. And this is where I do recommend maybe uh, going to the article, but just to briefly explain. The reason why it's interesting is because uh, of the spot price being changed by the weights, okay? So how do we sort of calculate um, price in a simple uni v2 pool right so let's say you've got a usdc uh versus eth right so you use this eth pool now the way you calculate spot price is you take uh, usdc uh, and divide it by eth right so usdc in the numerator and eth in the denominator okay so uh, in a balancer pool however it's slightly different in that you pretty much take the usdc and the eth and divide it uh, divide those by their respective weights okay so thinking about the same uh, spot price formula, I guess you could see, so in the numerator, you have USDC divided by its weight, right? So in the running example, I guess you could say, uh, USDC divided by 80, okay? And you take all that, and then uh, it's divided by the denominator, which would be Ethereum, so ETH divided by uh, 20, which is what we said, okay? So uh, this sort of makes sense, because if you think about it, if the weights are the same, right? So if the weight on USDC is the same as the weight on ETH, it pretty much cancels out, and then we get back to the simple spot price uh, formula for a uni v2 pool, okay? And the reason that this is sort of, uh, again, important is because um, it allows for certain uh, benefits in uh, a liquidity bootstrapping pool, okay? So what is a liquidity bootstrapping pool? Well, it is simply a, uh, a variant, I guess you could say, of a smart pool. It's just an application um, of a smart pool, okay? And it pretty much incorporates these three things. It incorporates um, the token uh, quantity, right? So just to keep it simple, we're just going to uh, take the assumption of, of two, uh, two tokens in a pool. Um, obviously, yeah, the, the amount of tokens is relevant and also the, the, uh, the weight assumption, right? Now, the one thing that the uh, liquidity bootstrap pool uh, also allows for, okay, is to have these weights change over time, okay? So in... Yeah, so pretty much in, in, in the examples that I've been talking about, um, we've been sort of assuming that these weights are fixed, right? So yeah, we could have a 80-20 split or a 60-40 split, but they don't change, okay? In an LBP, however, uh, these weights uh, can be programmed to change over time, okay? So in a USDC uh, an ETH pool, you can say, okay, so let's start off with an 80-20 split and let's end, uh, yeah, maybe say over three days or whatever it may be, whatever time period you like, we'll end at 20-80 split, okay? 
So what this means uh, is that without any buy or sell pressure, uh, the spot price will change. Okay, and just quickly going back to that, I guess that formula. If you think about it, um, in the denominator, as in the, the Ethereum part of the, of the formula, right? if we're sort of uh, slowly increasing what we're dividing by, then we're going to uh, increase the um, the price, right? Uh, so that's obviously why the uh, the price will, will change over time, right? It's sort of uh, changed by these weight changes, excluding any buy or sell pressure, okay? Now, um, what does this sort of result in, right? And again, this is for LBPs, okay? Um, it sort of results in a project sort of needing less liquidity to bootstrap for the same amount of token, okay? Because if you think about it, um, there, if the value assumption is, I guess, in favor of uh, the token, then you're going to need less uh, liquidity to sort of, um, yeah, pair it, so so to speak, right? Um, it also means that you have uh, downwards price discovery, right? So what this, uh, what the weight, um, uh, the weight division means is that the price is going to start high and it's going to slowly decrease over time. Um, and obviously, as the price sort of decreases and people sort of yeah, deem the price as a fair value, a fair market price, then they'll sort of buy and that will increase the price, but it will slowly decrease as the weights change, right? Um, another benefit is obviously that, uh, yeah, there's no, I get, well, there's less of a benefit of, of uh, being early to buy, right? Because if the price starts very high, um, then yeah, there's no sort of benefit of, of botting uh, the system to sort of get in before other people can buy, right? And all of the above sort of result in a better token distribution simply because, yeah, um, it doesn't sort of encourage large buys and it sort of uh, yeah, encourages um, buys over a prolonged period of time, right? Uh, so this pretty much results in uh, LBPs, liquidity, bootstrapping pools being great, um, yeah, method of launching a token right, in a fair manner because you, yeah, uh, low liquidity, um, you, the market sort of determines the price in, in a fair manner, and you can sort of pre prevent against uh, against botting and fraud. So I guess like this then sort of leads us into uh, that was sort of like the primer <laughs> to sort of understand what the reverse liquidity bootstrapping pool is. And you can probably imagine it's the same, and it's called reverse uh, reverse for a reason. I mean, this isn't like the official name. Uh, there is no official name. We just sort of decided to call it this, I guess. Um, but yeah, if the purpose of an LBP, right, is to get a token onto the market, then I guess the purpose of the reverse LBP is to get a token off of the market, or at least potentially, okay? Um, so just to make this a bit more clear, uh, if you think about it, an LBP is sort of designed to um, to allow users to, to buy tokens from it, as in they deposit, say, USDC, and they get a token out of it, okay? A reverse LBP is the opposite, okay? So users deposit a token, okay? So let's just say a project token, um, and in return, they get USDC. Now, an interesting thing about reverse um, LBPs is that they can also, uh, they also work the other way around. Users can also deposit USDC into the pool and get the token back out, right? So, uh, and this will make a bit more sense as to why. Um, Pretty much, you can uh, in a reverse LBP, you can buy and sell uh, into it. Okay, um, whereas in an LBP, you can uh, you can only uh, I guess buy the token from it, and you can only deposit USDC to get the project token out. Okay, um, in a normal pool, and 
yeah so in a normal pool the, the price is only affected by like buy and selling orders uh, as in yeah so uh, in a standard v2 pool right you um you need to pool you put in usdc right and you take out eth okay and just again going quickly back to that spot price formula uh, if you're putting usdc in and taking eth out obviously usdc is in the numerator eth is in the denominator and obviously uh, yeah uh, eth is inversely proportional to the price meaning that if you um take out um Ethereum, then obviously the price is going to go up, right? And vice versa for selling, okay? Um, this is sort of important because um, the, to contrast this, right, the reverse uh, LBP is uh, affected also by obviously this buying sell push, but also by the weight changes over time, okay, as we mentioned before, right? Um, and in the case of like the, the reverse LBP, the price is going to start low and it's going to slowly uh, increase over time um, and as people, again, as people deem the price, I guess, um, yeah, valid or, uh, yeah, um, pretty much as it sort of uh, tends to the current, the, the global market price, people, arbitrages will pretty much uh, buy on other markets and sell into the uh, reverse LVP. Okay. And that's sort of like how markets are connected. Um, so to speak, right? Um, you have to assume that the, well, pools are segregated, right? And they're sort of connected via uh, arbitrages. Um, so yeah, obviously, if if ETH uh, is cheaper on Sushi um, than it is on Uniswap, then somebody's going to buy from Sushi and, and sell it on Uniswap. And the same thing happens here, right? So in in uh, reverse LBP, uh, the weight change and uh, the quantity and uh, yeah, token types obviously, or what's it given? But yeah, so the weight change and uh, the amount of selling and buying and selling in the pool determines the price. And as those weights change, the price slowly increases, meaning that once the LBP price um, is greater, as in the token on the reverse LBP, the price for it is greater than the market token, then there's an incentive for, um, yeah, for arbitrage to step in and sort of sell that token back into the reverse LBP. Okay. Um, so I guess we can sort of say that uh, a standard LBP finds buying pressure, right? So the price starts high and it slowly decreases over time. And then, like I said, people sort of, um, people, once they deem the price, I guess, valid, uh, they buy, right? So the reverse LBP sort of does the opposite. It finds sell pressure. So the price starts low. And like I said, as price goes up, um, people, uh, almost so arbitrages, will sort of see an opportunity and then uh, sell into into the reverse uh, LBP. Um, yeah, so what does this mean then? Um, I guess like the the benefits of this uh, is that it, refu it, it reduces the front running incentive for bots um, since the buying takes place over like a longer, a longer period of time. Um, they're a bit more transparent too than I guess like a standard uh, buyback mechanism, right? And uh, yeah, so it's obviously hard to determine because um, there's not been many like real-world uh, use cases of the re reverse LBP. Temple DAO uh, recently did one, which I believe was the first. Um, and there are some drawbacks to it, which we'll go over shortly. Uh, but yeah, I guess uh, the advantage is that the, uh, I guess the, the playing field should be more transparent, uh, meaning that everybody has the same type of information. 
Um, everybody knows the start weight, everyone knows the, the end weight, everyone knows the amount of um, liquidity that's going to be paired with the token initially in the reverse LBP. Uh, so that sort of should equate to their less uh, being less um, yeah, uh, front running due to, I guess, asymmetry, uh, information asymmetry. There's also the benefit of it being more efficient gas-wise for the project because um, the project isn't specifically buying tokens off of the market. It's more so being uh, the, the RLBP, which obviously is owned by the project, it, it's being sold into by users, right? So it's, I guess, more of a distributed, um, yeah, a distributed uh, manner of, of acquiring a token. Um, so like what could be some uh, downsides to this, I guess? Um, it may not be co as cost-effective uh, as a TWAM, right? Uh, Time-weighted average market maker. Um, uh, so, and again, this like is something that is obviously hard to calculate because um, the you have to make certain assumptions, right? And you can sort of go over that in the article. Uh, I sort of had to say, okay, so there's not going to be any front-running on this periodic buyback. Um, and that obviously is a big assumption. Um, we sort of, uh, yeah, we can't, better modeling would have to be, uh, yeah, invested to sort of, um, see how it would sort of react, um, in a real market scenario. But again, it, you can never sort of, uh, I don't know, account for so many variables. So I guess this will have to do for now. Right. Um, so I guess like the, the conclusion there is that we sort of need to wait for, more projects to maybe use it or try it out or test it at least. Um, another possible downside is that uh, it could create more of like a, a PVP environment where uh, obviously each person is sort of in competition to sort of try and sell to back into the uh, reverse LBP before the next person, right? Because obviously selling into it um, will decrease the price. So uh, it could create somewhat of a, a PVP environment, which I mean, yeah, it's not ideal. Um, it also means that, I guess, uh, users with bigger bags may not be able to sort of exit positions as, a, as efficiently, which, uh, yeah, I don't know if uh, many people care about, but is something that we'll sort of, yeah, we have to take into consideration. Um, and more importantly, like the market actually controls or it has more of a say in how much selling occurs, right? Because of this... Um, I guess you could say this control over, okay, so we're actually the ones that sell back into the reverse LBP. Um, it means that uh, only once the market deems the price as, I guess, yeah, valid or um, valid enough to sell into it, which again, we have to assume the work of arbitrages would be there, right? Um, then that sort of uh, is another uh, factor to be to take into, into consideration. Whereas in a normal buyback, the project would just say, okay, we're just going to tee up um, yeah, uh, X amount of uh, X pools over X period with X amount of capital, right? Uh, in this case, it maybe is less certain, as in you probably couldn't say, okay, I want to acquire 10 million USDC worth of my project token. It sort of is somewhat dependent on uh, the market being um, yeah, willing to sell back into that uh, LBP, which obviously, like, like I mentioned before, uh, due to the price, uh, the weight changes, the price is going to increase, so there is going to be an arbitrage opportunity there. But uh, there is certain cases where, mm, and again, uh, this is obviously specific to the use case, uh, where maybe the price, uh, the current market price is uh, undervalued, 
and I guess holders don't want to sort of let go of the tokens. Um, so in that case, probably you wouldn't be able to, um, uh, yeah, there wouldn't be enough liquidity to sort of uh, acquire that uh, that amount of tokens. Um, yeah, I guess that's sort of like uh, a TLDR of the article. Um, and I guess this would sort of take us into the Q&A uh, section. I mean, ideally, um, yeah, if anybody has uh, any questions about anything, uh, now would be the time. Yeah, we had a question earlier from Fossil Fuel, but he went away because I didn't want to disrupt your flow. Okay. Um, but you guys can request to speak, and then um, you guys can come up here on the uh, stage, basically, the vir virtual spa uh, stage, and you can ask a question. Um, while you guys make up your mind, <laughs> um, I do have a question for you, Mason. Sure. Um, so my understanding of bonding curves is limited, to be honest, but could, could you compare this to a bonding curve for us? Okay, so, these, yeah. I mean, uh, a bonding curve is slightly different because in, uh, in the case of a bonding curve, you have... Uh, you're pretty much saying, okay, so you've got, um, what was it again? You've got uh, the price is uh, directly correlated to the amount of tokens minted, right? So um, I think it's that at least. And what happens is when uh, somebody deposits, uh, so somebody buys, let's say, $10, 10 USDC worth of the token, um, they're going to get minted, let's just say, one token, okay? Um, so they're putting X amount of capital into this bonding curve, right? Uh, if they were to sell back into it, they'd get that one token, uh, as in they put that one token back in and get that 10 USDC back out. Now, um, the, the difference here, uh, I guess you could say, is that you can't sort of... Um, you are sort of, it is similar in a sense, you, you are depleting uh, funds. So a project puts uh, X amount of capital into the RLPP um, and X amount of tokens. And then that is sort of, uh, yeah, traded against, I guess you could say. Um, but there is, I guess, no, uh, how would you say? There's no way to sort of change the bonding curve in a bonding curve, right? It's not... Um, it's not dynamic in that sense, right? So in the case of the reverse or, or, or yeah, an LBP, the um, the weight change means that you can sort of determine um, the curve of that. Uh, yeah, you can sort of determine the, um, uh, what's it called? The the price, right? Um, whereas in a, uh, a bonding curve, I think it's just, I think it's static. You can't sort of... Um, you have to de determine it using like different functions, whereas the yeah, I think in the I think in the bonding curve the price is just set right, and then it goes up incrementally per buy order or goes down per sell order or something like yeah. that. Yeah, So it actually does. So it, it, I think in the LBP it's it's more organic the price discovery. It sounds like yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you're pretty much uh, yeah. The market is sort of determining. Uh, in the case of an LBP, they're sort of determining the uh, yeah the sell pressure, um, sorry the buy pressure, and in the case of the reverse LBP, it's the other way around, right? As in the price slowly increases, uh, and then it's being uh, sold into. So would would projects 
if they launch and they want to do both, right? They want to launch the token, but they also have, say, a, a buyback mechanism. Mm -hmm. Is there is there any point in having both running at the same time, or does that defeat the purpose? Like an LVP and an RLVP. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure to be honest because, like, uh, the the thing with like, and I'm not entirely sure how it, it's done on on a large scale, uh, like a, a traditional like buyback because. I don't know, for example, Binance, they have quarterly buybacks, and that thing must be front-run, like, a shit ton, right? They must, obviously, they're, they're going to be doing doing it in, in such a way that, obviously, to minimize it, but, like, I don't know if it would... I'm not sure... Again, this is something I've not sort of been able to figure out, but um, I think the benefit would be that there would be less of an attack vector um, yeah. using an RLBP, Uh uh, yeah, but again, uh, I'm not sort of. I'm still researching whether that is, I guess, uh, the case or not. Yeah, and then since these are liquidity pools with extra features, essentially, so can is anybody able to become a liquidity provider that has a token match? No. So, like, yeah, that, that's um, another uh, good point. So, because they're smart pools, so smart pools, uh, like what we mentioned in the beginning, they are yeah they're pretty much less i guess you could say decentralized in the sense like the project is is has control over um many many of these uh, parameters right so they determine how long uh the the period is for right so yeah it's going to last for three days uh they also determine who's going to be the liquidity providers um and yeah obviously in this case you don't want sort of more people coming in uh, and adding liquidity where yeah, you just want them to buy and sell, so to speak. You want them to become LPs too. I mean, it probably could be, but I don't think that. I think that defeats the purpose to some extent. Um, can you explain why? Because I don't, I don't understand that. Because if the point is to bootstrap liquidity in a way, then wouldn't more LPs be a good thing? It, so, you mean in in the case of an LVP, not in, in like yeah, because that. It, yeah. So one of them, yeah, yeah, okay. It's it's probably just it's just something I'm not understanding. Maybe it's clear to everybody else, but I... <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it, yeah. So, um, in the case of an LVP, uh, maybe the name isn't uh, entirely accurate, right? What, uh, what they're sort of it's essentially helping a token to be launched in uh, a fairer way, right? So yeah, it's. Um, I mean, you you are sort of like finding liquidity, yes, um, but it's you're bootstrapping it. I, I think maybe bootstrapping sort of uh, is used like the word is used because you sort of require less liquidity to sort of bootstrap your uh, yeah. your pool, I guess you could say, right? So um, yeah, because of the weight assumption, you don't need as much liquidity to sort of have uh, there be not a like a mad amount of slippage. Um, so to speak. So, um, yeah, I guess that, well, that's, that's the way I understand it, at least. I see. So rather you would set up, I think that's what you said before. So rather you would set up uh, uh, a, a regular LP on Uniswap, mm -hmm. allowing exchange there, and then arbitra arbitrage would kind of take care of the difference in a way. Um, well, yeah. So if, for example, you mean in the case of an LBP or an RLP? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah in the case of an LBP. Well, yeah, in the case of an LBP, so you're launching your token. Your goal is to be big enough, have enough liquidity on Uniswap that we're just normal, you know, not normal, but like, you know, 
trading on Uniswap becomes feasible without major drawbacks to people. Like basically, enough liquidity is on there, but so yeah. you can use the LBP to to bootstrap it to launch it. Yeah. Yep. And then eventually it'll be in enough people's hands and they can then go and become LPs also on Uniswap. Yeah, for example. yeah. So, yeah, you're, you, you're essentially, it's like a fundraising tool to sort of acquire the mm. liquidity, uh, yeah, as much liquidity as you can without sort of having to have uh, too much, like uh, a decent amount upfront that you would standard, like you yeah. would normally require on a Uni V2 pool. Um, without having to incur like massive amounts of slippage. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that explains that. So my because my next question would have been if people can that so the the I guess so since it's not like a it's not like a public liquidity pool, so the people providing the liquidity in the LBP are invited, so to say. Yeah. Or the or the, the project themselves. It's, so it's normally don't, yeah. It's normally the project they don't themselves, own, yeah. They don't earn, obviously then earn any trading fees from that, right? There's no mechanism for that. Um, I don't think so. Like, um, I'm not actually sure to be honest. That's a good question. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, from what from my understanding, uh, yeah, the I guess it's sort of a siloed, like private pool, I guess you could say, where yeah, yeah you you can trade against, but you can't sort of be part of, and. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe there is like some trading fees that would just yeah because I guess you could say it's protocol owned. Um, I would sort of go back to the protocol. I'm not entirely sure actually for trading fees wise. Yeah. yeah. So I guess so. Uh, who is offering this technology? Right. I think Balancer is one place where if you wanted to launch a token, you could do this. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Um, Balancer. I think they were the pioneers of this. They sort of developed this. Um, I know Osmosis on Cosmos, Cosmos ecosystem, they sort of have uh, something similar, which allows you to sort of bootstrap a token with low liquidity. Um, and I'm not sure who else, actually. I think that's uh, to my knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, then, because I, I suppose that the trading fees would go to Balancer, Osmosis, or whichever protocol you're running it on, kind of as their service fee for providing the technology in a way. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. Um, if it's a public good, maybe not. But if they sort of, yeah, if they want yeah. to take... Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, like, Uniswap doesn't take... Uh, like, anybody can deploy uh, a V2 pool, yeah. right? Um, mm. So I'm not... I'm, okay. Yeah. Fees-wise, I've not actually yeah. looked into it. It never really occurred to me, but I'll take a look. Definitely. Yeah. Cool, Mason. Thank you so much for answering the question. Does anybody else have one? Uh, you guys feel free to request to speak, and then we'll put you up here on the stage. You can ask. Also, if you just want to comment, you know, if you want to say, "Hey, this was clear," or "Hey, I didn't get any of that," or <laughs> yeah, or anything, right? We can also just chat. I feel like the uh, the explanation maybe wasn't the clearest, just because it's a bit, I don't know, a bit of a difficult topic. I think the article does explain it better than I was maybe able to articulate it here without without slides. To be honest, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, you did a, you did a good job. Don't worry. I think, and I mean, it is a it's a it's a more it's an advanced topic for sure, right? Yeah. Um, it's not as simple as how do you know how do I connect value creation to my token, mm. which in itself is also not you know, it's also not that easy, but it's a little 
it just once you you need to understand what this is useful for and then i think it becomes clear yeah but you have to understand kind of the, the problem setup first and then when you think about it like oh now i launched a token how am i going to get it into people's hands without uh in a low liquidity environment because without running the price to zero mm-hmm. um that's kind of the, the issue yeah yeah um yeah, I see some people joining now. It's a little late in the game, unfortunately. <laughs> but we're we're in the questions portion. So if you guys want to ask a question, um, if we already covered it or not, I mean, maybe you have read the article and just want to ask Mason, who's the author, a direct question about it. Uh, feel, feel free to request to speak, and then we'll put you up here on the virtual stage. There's a request. Let's see. Yeah, Florent. Hey, I tried to uh, approve your request, Florent, but then you went away. I don't know what happened. Maybe you didn't mean to request it after all. Yeah, I mean, or if anybody has any like insights into other, I guess, buyback mechanisms uh, that would be interesting, because that's something that I've sort of need. Well, I'm like slowly learning more about. Um, because yeah, I mean, like the the RLBP uh, is a potential way, a potential new mechanism to get mar- um, tokens off of the market. But again, like uh, if you read the article, you'll see, I guess, the bottom, the, the, the end part of it is sort of a, a some, yeah, a very basic analysis between, I guess, what we could call a standard buyback, which is just like a, yeah, um a pool uh, every hour, right, with a certain amount of, of uh, UCT, which is it comes, like I said, with very heavy assumptions that there is no front running versus the RLBP, right? And um, if you take a look at the article, you'll see that the acquisition price um, for those two vary quite quite a bit, right? So um, the uh, acquisition price using like a standard buyback um, is pretty much 10 cents uh, or 0.0, uh, sorry, 0.10019. And then there is uh, the RLBP, which is like 0.0. One zero four. Okay, so it's uh, it's a bit more expensive, um, and that sort of like results in like seven hundred and fifty thousand USDC spent. Um, there's about like a two hundred and fifty ish, two yeah, two hundred and eighty five thousand token difference uh, as in buyback potential. And again, this is like uh, I think it's heavily influenced by the assumption that I had to make of no front running in the case of like this uh, the standard buyback. But uh, I'm still skeptical whether or not like it is more cost effective, uh, as in the, the the RLBP versus something like a T1 um, or a show up. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know if anybody has any insights into that or any comments. That'd be interesting to hear. Not all at once. 
<laughs> There's a request. Let's see. Florence trying again. Okay, I'm approving it. There he is. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Hi. Uh, thanks for the presentation. I don't really have any question, but since it's very new, it's more uh, like it's just thank you for the presentation. And it's I, I'm just gonna need more, I guess, uh, use cases to understand exactly what it's what it's about and what are the implications. But yeah. it's, uh, it's a great article. A bit complex, but it's uh, it's interesting. That's what we like. Cool, cool, thanks. Um, yeah, as for like, the use cases, um, I think there is like one specific like niche use case, which is again not very widespread. But if you think about it, like imagine, and this this comes specifically from the the Temple DAO uh, scenario, where they sort of have uh, their token, which represents um, well, it doesn't really matter, but they pretty much have a token that sort of trades at was trading at a a price that um and then it, it pretty much got nuked right uh, for some unimportant reasons but basically the it was pretty much uh, left holders were sort of left yeah um underwater i guess you could say right and a like if you're a project who sort of wants to acquire a token or sort of bump up the token price um but there's nobody selling right you sort of need a way to sort of find sell pressure in a way, right? So it's like healthy. Um, so it's like you need, you need to incentivize um, people to sell into uh, a market, right? And what they, that, that was, I guess, primarily, or primarily one of the reasons why they sort of um, chose this, this mechanism um, is because of like the weight changes. So what happens was, yeah, so the market uh, price, let's say, just as an example, was at 70 cents, but people were sort of underwater uh, from 80 cents downwards, right? So there's a 10 cents different difference. Um, so what they sort of did was, okay, so let's use this mechanism to sort of start at the current price, and then it will slowly increase the price uh, due to the weight changes. And then as people sort of, yeah, uh, it starts to reach that, uh, it, it, I guess in the case of the, uh, the specific reverse liquidity pool, um, sorry, reverse uh, LDP, it would be considered a ceiling. Um, whereas for like uh, people selling into it, it's like the minimum price that they want to sell for. Um, but obviously, yeah, that's sort of where this like PVP scenario does actually come about. Um, but it sort of somewhat got the job done in the sense that, yeah, um, they were able to sort of increase the price and allow people to exit at a, uh, a more decent price than I guess the market was sort of letting them. Um, simply because there was nobody listing, um, yeah, there was no liquidity to sort of sell at a, a decent price. So that's like one uh, very specific uh, use case where you can sort of incentivize holders to, yeah, get rid of uh, tokens um, in a fairer manner. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm also interested to see how this could be, I guess, used more uh, in more cases. So, so it also means that I mean, when when you have too many holders on your project, it's you also don't control at all when they're gonna take profits and make your token drop. So with this uh, with this function, you can kind of control when they're gonna drop their token, when they're gonna sell. So you can 
release some of that holder pressure in a sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, if you think about it, so yeah, you've got loads of holders, um, and yeah, you're right, so maybe you don't know when they're going to sell, or maybe you have a cap supply and you need to acquire tokens, or maybe you have a staking yield that you need to sort of provide, but you don't want to inflate supply. You just want to redistribute from, I don't know, let's say some whales that are holding their tokens, right? Um you yeah you could you could pretty much incentivize uh, them to sell back into this reverse LBP um, with this lightweight change um, and it would sort of find the the price that they deem valid right uh, and obviously that, that's where I guess the PVP um, scenario is beneficial to the project in some regard because it's PVP for the whales or like for the people selling but it's beneficial for the project because yeah, once one sells, then uh, obviously that's going to kick the price down. So it's like, okay, so who's going to sell faster, so to speak, um, or who's going to take the, the uh, current price quicker, which obviously whoever um, sort of takes it quicker, it does sort of uh, benefit them more than the person that comes after you, uh, at least as long as that is sort of maintained, right? Because of the weight changes and uh, the change over time, the, the price will slowly go up again but if there's constant sell pressure uh let's say yeah at the ceiling price it will sort of um it will sort of incentivize selling right to some to some degree at least okay yeah thanks awesome thanks for your question yeah super cool floron thank you and thank you for the explanations mason um anybody else feel free to request the to speak and we'll get you up here um if not i mean we've been on here for about 40 minutes i'll probably wind down soon or any other i don't know maybe it could be related and it doesn't have to be specifically related to this i guess yeah at this point i mean yeah anything tokenomics yeah. <laughs> you want to get off your chest Just do it. While you guys are thinking, I think most of people, most of the people here, I recognize uh, from the inside. Let's say from the DAO. Um, however, if you're listening and you haven't actually been on a Discord or haven't, this is maybe you haven't heard much about tokenomics style. Um, we are the largest tokenomics-focused community on the internet. Um, there's, what, I don't know, 2,700 people or something now on our Discord. Um, main thing, so basically our TLDR objective is uh, uncover, simplify, and share tokenomics know-how with the world and ideally get, you know, take the stuff that's often presented in a very complicated way and try to break it down so that anybody can understand it. No econ degree required. And so, uh, Mason, as far as I know, you don't have an econ degree. Nope. No, I don't. And um, Flo, who like is kind of the initiator, he also doesn't have one. I don't have one. However, we all have general backgrounds in business or product management or, you know, just a keen interest in tokenomics and Web3. And we kind of have just work, just done the work, essentially, to figure this stuff out and are still figuring it out, right? So nobody here is, like, done learning. That's, like, the whole point of tokenomic styles. We all want to learn 
tokenomics together. Um, so if you're, if that sounds cool, please join us, you know, in any way you want, you can come on discord, you can figure out how to become a contributor. Um, it's not that difficult and open to anybody. And, um, yeah. And if nothing else, you know, retweet our stuff that helps, <laughs> helps us grow. So yeah, thank you guys. Yeah. We, uh, we also have like a uh, community talks, which are pretty much what we just went through today, but I guess sometimes they're, uh, regarding like specific protocols, uh, normally they have visuals, right? So it, it's a bit more of a, yeah, it might be a bit easy to understand. We're, we've also just started a study group, which was, uh, quite interesting last week. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, that's right. Study group. Also an online course. If you didn't understand anything and you want to get going quickly in a structured format, you can also find that. Find that on our website. Or if you just look at our timeline, we tweet uh, educational concepts all the time. Cool. Awesome. Well, any questions? I'll give you guys one more minute and then we'll shut this down. Thank you guys so much for attending. It was our first space. Uh, and I think it was great success, Mason. I mean, we had, I think, 15 people in here at some point, which is actually a really good turnout because some some community talks, unfortunately, yeah. maybe they're scheduled at the wrong time. Or I don't know, but sometimes it's it's tough to get people to come on Discord. So I think this was great. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Oh, there's a request. Let's see. Jana.eth. Hey, hey. Hi there, GM. 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 So firstly, I just wanted to say thank you for, for hosting this and congrats on your first spaces. I thought it was great. And I'm looking forward to getting more involved with uh, Tokenomics DAO. So thank you for that welcoming uh, entry and just reminding people that they don't need to have a background in, in economics. Ironically, I do, <laughs> but a lot. Of, but, <laughs> but a lot of what you're saying, I you know, I have a lot to learn, and so I'm I'm inspired and excited to kind of dig in and and really understand this better. So I just wanted to say thank you. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely, no brother. Thank you so much. And yeah, and people with econ degrees are also welcome, right? I didn't mean <laughs> I no, didn't no, mean to what, exclude. No, but what I mean is, I think it's really nice that you said that because it yeah. it um, for some people either might be intimidated or shy or think that oh, I don't belong in that space because, like you said, maybe I don't have a background in it. So I wanted to say, even people yeah. with that have backgrounds in it are a little hesitant and not really sure where to begin. So. That was it. Just thank For you. Sure. You guys are great. Thanks. Yeah, cool. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, well, so on that note, uh, Jonathan, so because there's not really any, there's not any formal education on this stuff yet, right? And it'll probably be a while before there is. Um, so we're doing this. Uh, so this is one thing that we want to build and that we're working towards is kind of building an, like an on-chain, like tokenomics-based credential system like how you can uh, prove like just not even credential but like how you can prove that you that you're doing the work that you're learning about tokenomics so there's uh the tokenomics hub is what we're starting to build there's a rough prototype out there yet but the vision for it is is uh, pretty large so um yeah so we're excited to also be talking about this more in the future so basically as people come to the DAO and do tokenomics based research or post stuff or you know just have good discussions We'll reward that with NFTs of some kind, and then over time, 
these NFTs can become your kind of your proof of work, right? You can show to the world, like, hey, I actually spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff, um, and I can prove it, and here's the work to show for it. So, yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's also going to form part of. Uh, well, eventually, like, I guess initially, it'll just be yeah, this like basic NFT um, system, but it will like, we will sort of look at incorporating self-sovereign identity or self-sovereign credentials, which is uh, I don't know a big topic, which yeah, um, nicely fits into yeah, just being able to show uh, what you know rather than sort of yeah, really um, this this idea. Okay, well yeah, uh, I need a degree to sort of do this, or I uh, don't sort of yeah uh, I can't prove what I've sort of done um, yeah I think like one thing that I sort of found very nice um, about Tecumic Style is that we just sort of we, uh, we tend to sort of yeah prize curiosity right people who are interested ask good questions and we also try to create a space where it's like well yeah there's no stupid questions you, do, you ask what you want it's like everybody's on a different path like everybody knows different shit right and and that's just that's just the, the beauty of it. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Very good. Thank you guys so much. Awesome. Um, this was this was great. Thank you guys for coming. We'll I think we'll host more of these in the future. But you'll you you know you'll find it here on Twitter or in our Discord. And yeah, uh, in the United States, it's Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving and happy wh- whatever. Happy Thursday, I guess. To everybody <laughs> else. <laughs> yeah. Bye, Mason. Thank you so much for the presentation. It was great. No problem. Thanks, guys.